Thanks. Hey, good morning, Heritage Church. Wow, it's good to see you. And I can't tell you what an honor, what a privilege it is to be with you. I want to thank you uh, for taking care of my children and my grandchildren. I appreciate what you do, and I love your pastor. I've even forgiven him for stealing them away from us and moving them up here. Uh, hey, all things work together for good. It was the right thing. It was the right move. They need to be here, and I, I do. I love your pastor. I appreciate his shepherd's heart. I appreciate uh, just uh, he, he loves you as much as any church that— uh, any pastor loves their church. I, I, in fact, I think he loves you more than any pastor I've ever seen loves his church, and I appreciate that so much. Appreciate the opportunity. It is a privilege to stand where he stands today and just share with you uh, for a few minutes. I love this sermon series that you've been on all summer, summer-wise, summer not. And I love that title. I follow a lot of other churches. And my son, who is a student pastor in Greenville, they're doing Proverbs as well all summer. You've lived there all summer. But I love that, summer-wise, some, some are not. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's great. I mean, it, this good, solid, sound advice. And maybe... Uh, like me, you read the corresponding Proverbs with the day of the month. I, I do that all the time, not just in the summer, but I, I do that all the time. I, just about every devotion, every quiet time that I have, I, I read the corresponding Proverbs. So today is what? September the 3rd. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 3 and a very familiar passage of Scripture that's going to set the table for everything I want to say this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. By the, by the way, I don't have all the props that Huck uses, all right? I, I, I think the dog in his vomit last week about, about, about took the cake, so I, I can't get there. I, I, don't, I don't use those. Here, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord. With all of your heart, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways know him, and he will make your paths straight. Pretty good advice from a man named Solomon. Now suppose God came to you and said, I'll grant your one wish. What is it you desire most in life? Now, God is not a magic genie, as some might have you to believe, but that actually happened. You can read this story in 1 Kings chapter 3. God came to King Solomon, and he basically said, what do you desire? What is it you desire most in life? Solomon thought about that, and he said, God, I need your wisdom. I feel so inadequate as a king, so insufficient as a leader. I, I need to think the way you think. I, I need to be able to make decisions that I will not regret one day. I don't want to look back on my life and say, boy, that was a bad choice. So God, more than anything else, I want your wisdom. And God, being God, granted his desire, but he also threw in some other things. 
God said, because you've asked for that which is good, that which is right, that which is noble, I'm going to throw in all these other things that most people would have asked for. You know, things like prosperity, things like power, things like long life. So Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, somewhere in his probably mid-40s, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, writes the book of Proverbs. You've lived there all summer studying Proverbs. A great source of wisdom. Tremendous advice. Yet sadly, sadly, Solomon started leaning on his own understanding. He, he started trusting in his own wisdom. And when you read the next book of the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is an old man and he's writing with regret that he did it his own way. He did not take the advice of God. He did not take his own advice that he penned in Proverbs. And he comes to the end of his days as an old man with great regret saying life is meaningless. There's no purpose. Life is empty. But like an Old Testament prodigal, Solomon starts making his way back to God. Now, while it's sad that Solomon strayed let it be an encouragement to all of us to know that the wisest man to ever live messed up. The wisest man to ever live failed. So wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are in your life, whether old, whether young, start today. Start today. Get on the path of heavenly wisdom, Proverbs kind of wisdom, following God, leaning on him, trusting in him, not leaning to your own understanding. And even if you've blown it, even if you've made mistakes, start today. Start fresh. Get on the path of God's wisdom. I love reading the writers of the New Testament. So many of them refer back to Proverbs, right? You think about Peter when he wanted to talk about unity and harmony and humility. He referred to Proverbs. Think about Paul, or, you know, Paul, you know, writing, you know, to the church. Gives this Proverbs kind of wisdom. And my favorite is James, the brother of Jesus. James gives sound advice as he shares with us the benefits of living your life with heavenly wisdom. And the downfalls of living your life with worldly wisdom. If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like for you to turn to the New Testament book of James. James chapter 3, or follow along on the screens. In James chapter 3, there's this contrast between worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. The Proverbs kind of wisdom. Now, most people operate with worldly wisdom. I mean, that's how they live their lives. That's how they make their decisions. They follow all these experts and gurus like Oprah and Dr. Phil. And, and James says in verse 15 of chapter 3, that kind of wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it can even be demonic. Yet when it comes to living life and making decisions, isn't that how most people respond? That's how we respond so often as Believers, think about it. When it comes to your marriage, worldly wisdom says that marriage is a 
50-50 deal. Yeah, I, I give 50%, you give 50%. It's a 50-50 proposition. Uh, you've heard that, right? That's worldly wisdom. Proverbs says, no, you're all in. You're giving 100%. And, and you think about it, though. When, when you're thinking about getting married, young people, and you're praying about that, and you're praying for that spouse, and maybe you're dating that person, so you start praying, is she the one for me? Is she going to satisfy me? Is she going to make me happy? Is she going to complete me? Is she going to meet my needs? And that's how I prayed when Dawn and I were dating. And we were dating, and I'm praying that way. God, is she going to make me whole? Is she going to complete me? Is she the one for me? And heaven was silent. It wasn't until I started praying, God, am I the one for her? Will I complete her? Will I make her not happy but holy? Will I, will I satisfy her? Only then did I begin to hear from God. But yet the world operates in a different realm. How about worldly wisdom when it comes to parenting? I mean, listen to all the experts today when it comes to child rearing and read the book of Proverbs. You, you talk about difference. Yeah, that's worldly wisdom compared to heavenly wisdom. How about when it comes to your job? I mean, Sid, Sid preached a great message on, on, on your job, what you do for a living. And, you know, and, and hearing what Errol said was it, tremendous advice. See, the world says you cut corners. The world says you do as little as possible. Worldly wisdom says, I'm just working for a paycheck. Yet heavenly wisdom takes the Rebecca principle of Genesis chapter 24 and applies it to your life, which says, I'm going to do what's expected. I'm going to do what's required, and then some. It's, it's just different. It's different. How about when it comes to accountability and discipline in life? Boy, the, the world says no boundaries, no, no guidelines. But the book of Proverbs, heavenly wisdom, talks about, you know, having some discipline in your life. I, I did not have a lot of discipline in my life growing up. Uh, my parents had me late in life. I'm an only child, and my dad was sick, and my mom spent all of her time taking care of him. So I, I basically did my own thing. You know, thank, thank goodness for football there. I mean, you, you want some discipline, you go, you know, play football or, or go join the military. I had, I had a friend when we were growing up. We got to be teenagers, and I remember him saying, man, I'm, I'm going to join the Marines. So you're going to join the Marines. Why? He said, I'm getting tired of being told what to do. I, I'm going to. Well, well I, I started playing football, and, and I, I, I was pretty good. I was all state as a junior. I thought very highly of myself, a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance. And our coach had several rules. One rule he had was no long hair. Man, I had the Trevor Lawrence thing going. Back then, I mean, I had the long hair. I don't want to see any hair out of your helmet. First day of practice, I've got my long hair. He says, cut your hair. Barbershop's right across the street after practice today. Cut your hair. I thought, I don't cut my hair. I'm not going to do that. And so the next day I come to practice, there's my long hair. You know, we're stretching. We're getting ready. He comes up, looks at me. He calls his trainer over there. He says, hand me your scissors. <laughs> Took the scissors and just cut it right around my helmet. You imagine a coach doing that today? I mean, 
Man, I was mad. I, I was so mad. I told him, I said, I'm quitting. I'm just going to quit. He called me over and he said, look, you can go ahead and quit if you want to, but we're still going to play. And, and we're going to be pretty good without you. But if you quit, what college is going to want you? I mean, back in the day, you know, if you quit, they're not going to recruit you. They're not going, they won't take you. And so I did not like that discipline. You know, Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 11 talks about, you know, no discipline is fun during the time, but it yields righteous results. And so I thank God for that today. I thank God for that kind of discipline. It helped me be self-disciplined and have some accountability in my life. But worldly wisdom says no boundaries, no discipline. Think about when it comes to friendships and relationships. You know, Proverbs says iron sharpens iron. We need to make each other better, sharper. Oh, no, worldly says, hey, I'll be your friend because of what I can get out of it, what you can do for me. It's just different. It's just dramatically opposed. How about when it comes to making decisions? Life is filled with decisions. We make hundreds of decisions every single day. And yeah, more, some are more consequential than others. Uh, a young man came to a CEO, a very successful CEO, and asked him his key, the key to success. And the CEO said, wise decisions. The young man said, well, how do I make wise decisions? The CEO said, experience. The young man says, well, how do I gain experience? The CEO said, dumb decisions. <laughs> now, there, there, there may be some truth to that. But the reality is when we live our lives and operate according to worldly wisdom, we make a lot of dumb decisions that, that may seem good on the front end and may be beneficial on the front end, but in the long run and in the scheme of eternity, they are detrimental and they cost us greatly. We choose. It's our choice. We have so many decisions to make. We can rely on heavenly wisdom from above, Proverbs wisdom, or we can rely on earthly, worldly wisdom that James tells us is earthly, verse 15, unspiritual, and it can even be demonic. Worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. You've heard the story, right, of the four men on the plane. The plane's going down. There's a pilot. There's the smartest man in the world. There's a pastor, and there's a Boy Scout. The plane's going down. Problem, only three parachutes. Only three parachutes. So the pilot says, look, we're going down. Four of us, only three parachutes. But, hey, I, I've got a family at home. I, I, I'm still a young man, and I've got to raise my children. They need me, so I'm taking a parachute. He takes a parachute and jumps. Smartest man in the world. Smartest man in the world says, hey, look, I might find a cure for cancer. I might find a cure for world hunger. I'm, the world needs me. So he took a parachute and jumped. That left the pastor and the Boy Scout. And the pastor said to the Boy Scout, he said, son, we only have one parachute. I've lived my life. I know where I'm going. Uh, you take the last parachute. And the little Boy Scout looked at the pastor and said, pastor, that's all right. We both have a parachute. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. I mean, you can be smart, 
You can be smart and still lack heavenly wisdom. Now, James tells us something about this worldly wisdom, this worldly wisdom. It is characterized by two things, bitter envy and selfish ambition. Do you see it in verse 14 of James chapter 3? But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. We need ambition. I hope you're ambitious. But it becomes very, very worldly and carnal and, and can even be demonic when it drifts into selfish ambition. What's the difference? Well, selfish ambition is when we're envious of someone else. Somebody else gets that promotion. Somebody else gets that pay raise. Somebody else gets that job that I thought I should have gotten. And instead of celebrating with them and being happy for them, then we what? Yeah, we become very envious. Even to the point of bitterness, bitter envy. And the real driving force of envy and selfish ambition is to see ourselves promoted and others demoted. Verse 15 is crystal clear. That's not from God. It's not from God. That kind of wisdom is earthly, sensual, unspiritual, and can even be demonic. It's bound to this realm. There is no eternal value in this. And it can even be flirting with demonic. People who consult mediums and tarot cards and all of these other things. That's flirting with the demonic. Verse 16, wherever they exist, there is disorder, disorder, confusion, and every evil practice. And friends, when that slips into the church, you have all kinds of problems. Sadly, that happens way too often. I mean, here, here's someone who's smart. They've got a little power, a little authority. And they may be very, very intelligent. But give them a little bit of authority because they're operating with worldly wisdom. It can be very, very carnal. And if that church is not organized correctly, which this one is, by the way. Uh, this church is organized correctly. Many churches are not. And it allows these kinds of folks to get into leadership and in a large church, they're just a nuisance. But in a small church, they can wreak havoc. Or if they get onto something like a worship team or on a, a committee or, or, they, or they get into a small group, boy, they, they can ruin it. I, I mean, they can take it in a direction you don't want to go, go. They can cause dissension and division. Proverbs 6, 18, there are a number of things that God hates. And sowing seeds of discord among the believers is one of them. And when that happens, when that happens in a church, it leads to every evil practice. Evil practice. Some translations say worthless endeavors. Now, I was a lead pastor for 37 years, and in those 37 years, I've seen some evil practices. But I've seen a whole lot of worthless endeavors. When, when the church spends all of their time, all their money, all of their effort and energy on things that don't matter, 
on things of no eternal significance whatsoever. It's a waste of time. It's a worthless endeavor. It can consume you, and it produces nothing for Jesus. Just worthless stuff. I um, remember the first church I pastored. The first church I pastored, you know, very formal, had the Lord's Supper table right in front, and you only had the Lord's Supper once a quarter, but you dared not move that table. Because on that table, there was a plaque in memory of somebody donated by somebody, usually a family member. Now, I remember in this particular church, there was also a cross. And on that cross was a plaque donated in honor of somebody by another family member. And you didn't move that cross. I found that out you know, I, I, the hard way. In order to move that cross, it, had, it took an act of Congress. Literally, you had to go to committee. Had to go to committee. They would discuss it. Then it would go to the deacons. Deacons discussed it. Then it would go to the floor of the church for that quarterly business meeting where Mr. Carnality always showed up. And, and then, and then you, 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 you had all kinds of opinions. Waste of time. A waste of energy. Yeah, I mean, hey, talk to Michael Hooks about moving furniture in the foyer in the church we serve together. The foyer, that's the lobby, by the way. But, but in those churches, you called it the foyer. And you dared not move the furniture in the foyer because the furniture in the foyer was donated, had a plaque on it, donated by somebody in memory of somebody. And, you know, and so we decided once up, we just go move, we'll move that furniture. Boy, you, you thought we desecrated the temple doing something like that. I, it, it was crazy. Crazy. Waste of time. I mean, that, that went, to, went to the church for discussion, all this, and everybody called, you know. What, now, any of you basketball fans, I mean, we're talking about furniture here. You remember the basket? You remember that interview with Allen Iverson? Classic interview when he missed practice. Remember the media interviewed him, and he says, we're talking about practice. We're not talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. And I, and I thought about this. I'm just not smart enough to think about it. I would, I've gotten up and said in front of the church, we're talking about furniture. We're not talking about souls. We're not talking about evangelism. We're not talking about ministry. We're talking about furniture, man. But you dared not move that. I, there, one, one church, furniture in the foyer, and there was a sideboard type of credenza that had drawers. And in the main drawer, there was the nativity scene uh, donated in memory of somebody. <laughs> and, and, you, and when Christmas season came around, they'd open the drawer and pull out the nativity scene. And, well, you dared not touch that, dared not move that. Now, I had, I had a, you'd love this, said I had an associate pastor. He'd go by there, and he'd pull the wise men off the nativity scene and stick them back in the drawer. He said, they weren't there. It's not biblical. They didn't show up to later. Oh, but he got in trouble for that. Worthless endeavors, things that just don't matter. Praise God, you are in a church that focuses on the main thing. And, and I know that because, you know, Hux tells me about this. We dealt with stuff before you focus on the main thing. You know, winning people to Jesus and discipling them in the faith. That is so very, very important. Okay, that's the negative. That's worldly wisdom. That, that's, but that's how a lot of people operate. That's how a lot of churches operate. Now look, if you would, at the description of heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom. And that's in James chapter 3, verse 17. This wisdom comes from God. You do not receive it naturally. You get an infusion from heaven. 
through God's Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about what it's not, okay? First of all, what heavenly wisdom is not. Heavenly wisdom is not intelligence. Now, it's great to have a high IQ, or at least that's what I've been told. But that's not wisdom. Also, heavenly wisdom is not knowledge. It's not knowledge. I mean, the accumulation of facts. It's okay to have knowledge and the accumulation of facts, but, but that's not heavenly wisdom. Now, get this. All right? This is good. This is where a lot of people miss it. Heavenly wisdom is not common sense. As many people would lead you to believe. That's what heavenly wisdom is. It's common sense. No, it's not. Here's what it is. It's uncommon sense. Uncommon sense that comes from God. You don't arrive at it through research or study or investigation. I love the story when Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And he asks them this question, Matthew 16. He asks them the question, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? Worldly wisdom. The disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, okay, that's what worldly wisdom says. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. But you did not arrive at that conclusion through earthly, worldly investigation. You arrived at that conclusion through divine revelation. God gave that to you. God placed that on your mind and in your heart. You don't arrive at it through research and study. You arrive at it through divine revelation. Jesus, or James then shares some characteristics of a person who lives and functions in the realm of heavenly wisdom. They're all in verse 17 of James chapter 3. First of all, he says, it's pure. It's pure. That means it's authentic, it's genuine, it's truthful. It means I'm, I'm going to be truthful. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not going to steal from you. It's honest, it's truthful, it's authentic, it's real. Leonard Keller, who is the father of the lie detector test, tested over 25,000 people and came away saying people are basically dishonest. Mm -hmm. They lied. People are liars. Uh, wisdom from heaven is pure. It's authentic. It's truthful. Also, wisdom from heaven is peace-loving, verse 17. I love peacemakers. Not just not peacekeepers, peacemakers. People who pursue peace. People who promote peace. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30 says, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but a fool is quick to quarrel. Peacemaker, peace-loving. Also, heavenly wisdom is considerate or gentle, verse 17. The biblical word there is meekness, not weakness, but meekness. Bible says Moses was meek. The Bible says Jesus was meek. It literally means power under control. Harness power. Sandberg said of Abraham Lincoln, he is a man of velvet and steel. Acts chapter 7, speaking of Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church, says that he was full of power and grace. You know, some people are just full of power. 
overly aggressive, overly assertive, they're product-oriented, they get a lot accomplished, they just don't love people. And then some people are just all grace, kindness, grace, and, uh, but they don't get a lot accomplished, they don't have a lot of bad, you know, backbone. But that combination of the two, that, that's meekness when used at the right time. Also, heavenly wisdom is compliant, verse 17. Compliant. Some translations say submissive. Others say willing to yield. The RSV version says open to reason. Not compromise, but reason. Reasonable. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, A wise person is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. They seek God's will, God's direction, not their own personal preferences. Also, heavenly wisdom is characterized by mercy. It's merciful, compassionate. Mercy is a spiritual gift, by the way. And, and I, I see you have a spiritual gifts inventory that, that, that you're doing. And I, I remember taking that. I, I've taken it a couple of times. I remember taking it one time with a group of deacons. And I'm sitting right beside my dentist, and he scores zero on mercy. I said, like, so, something's wrong with this picture. But I remember a previous visit to him. You know, he, you know, he, he gives me the Novocaine, and he ain't got the needle out of my mouth, and the drill's going. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Is, this, is, is that Novocaine had time to take effect? He said, we're getting ready to find out. Uh, no, no mercy. Heavenly wisdom is merciful. It's just, you have mercy. And verse 17 also says that this kind of person produces good fruit. Familiar with the fruit of the Spirit? The person who operates in heavenly wisdom, they produce good fruit. Also, one other thing in verse 17, it's impartial and sincere. It's unwavering, without pretense. Some translations say without hypocrisy. It's genuine. It's above board. It's authentic. Heavenly wisdom is characterized by honesty and sincerity, not insincerity and pretense. Now, I, I, I'll be real honest with you. And as I, as I examine my life, and as I look at verse 17, I find that I, I operate with, in the realm somewhat of heavenly wisdom. But there's way too much worldly wisdom in my life. You know, Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfilled this, right? I mean, you look at verse 17 of James 3 and just put it alongside the life of Jesus. That was his life as he lived on this earth. He perfectly, flawlessly operated in the realm of heavenly wisdom. We need more of that. But that will only come when we totally surrender to Jesus. And he literally lives his life through us in the person of his Holy Spirit. And it only happens when we you know, have the mind of Christ. Think the way Jesus thought. I mean, you just think about it. Think about it. How, how, do you operate with heavenly wisdom? J just say you were one of the disciples of Jesus. Remember when he fed the 5,000? 
He fed, he fed 5,000. He told his disciples, he said, all right, everybody sit down. We're going to feed them. And, and they were, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Jesus. We can't feed all these people. Too many of them. We don't have that kind of money. Uh, tell them to go into town and get them something to eat. Tell them to go home and eat. I would have been the spiritual root one in the group. Let's just tell them to fast. <laughs> yeah. And we would have missed a miracle, right? Because we were operating in that realm of worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom crowns self. Heavenly wisdom crucifies self. Worldly wisdom deifies self. Heavenly wisdom denies self. And we don't like that. That's really uncomfortable. But our only hope is to die to self and surrender to Jesus so that he can live through us in the person and the power of his Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Four things real quick and we're done. Four things. Number one, be born from above. Be born again. Be saved. Become a believer in Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I pray today that you would say yes. I don't need to pray a prayer for you or even with you. You can right now just say, Jesus, I trust you. I place my faith, my trust, my hope, my confidence in you. And on the authority of God's scripture, you will be born from above. You'll be born again. You'll be saved. But that's where it starts. There's no way we can have the mind of Christ. There's, there's no way we can follow God's wisdom in our own strength. We must know Jesus. Be born from above. Secondly, fear God. Fear the Lord. Well, that, that's a missing ingredient today, right? Uh, I'm not talking about being afraid as in fear. I'm talking about respect, reverence, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe of a holy God. Because Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You've got to start there. So be born from a good be, be a believer, a Christ follower. Secondly, fear God. Thirdly, ask God for wisdom. Ask him. Again, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. God gives generously. I have to ask God every day. Help me to live and operate and make decisions according to heavenly wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. And then number four, yield to God. Yield to him, walk with him, be spirit-controlled, and you'll have that mind of Christ. God's not your co-pilot. He's a pilot. God, Jesus, is the captain of your ship. Jesus is the Lord of your life. He's on the throne. Yield to him, and you can begin to operate in that realm of heavenly wisdom i need a double dose how about you would you bow your heads please how wise are you do you need heavenly wisdom wisdom that's from above in your marriage in your parenting in your job in your finances in your relationship do you need it in making decisions? Do you just need it in living your life? That kind of wisdom comes only from above, and it begins by trusting in Jesus, walking with him, asking him, 
being controlled by his Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, I just pray for every person here. I pray, Lord, that every person is yielded to you. Those who are here, those that are watching, God, that they know Jesus. They've trusted you, Lord. And I pray today that wherever they are on life's path, that they would begin right now operating in the realm of heavenly wisdom. Wherever they, whatever they've done, they may say, Lord, I've made a mess, I've blown it. Lord, wherever they are, today's a new day. They can start new, they can start fresh. So, Father, we trust you totally, completely, and we know that you're more than adequate, more than sufficient for all needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.